Christmas is well and truly upon us, isn't it? We've had the market, the panto. Uh, hands up if you've got your Christmas tree up. Ooh, slightly less than this morning. So, well, we are going to dive straight into the Christmas mood this morning. So I'm hoping I can convince the rest of you who haven't got your tree up, by the end of the service, you're going to be going home full of Christmas spirit, ready to go buy a Christmas tree. Um, and we have now entered this season we call Advent in the church, which is the time of year that we as Christians prepare and reflect on and celebrate the coming of Jesus. And it's that time of year where we stop and we pause and we look at why Jesus, why this baby coming here 2,000 years ago is of any significance. What is so important about Christmas? And a few years ago, my wife and I had a friend staying around to ours, and we thought it would be quite nice to go out with them for a day trip to St. Albans. They're not from around here. And uh, we did the classic going up to Watford Junction to buy our tickets. And on the way there, I noticed next to the building, there was this sky blue bus with Manchester City on the side of it. And I didn't really think much of it, just thought, I know there's a game later on, maybe there's some fans going to a game later. And I'm not a Manchester City fan, I'm a Liverpool fan, I want to make that very clear, but I am a football fan. So I, I, uh, as I walked into the station, I got my ticket, go through the turnstile, and this guy dressed in this black puffer jacket with one of those in-ear radios walks by me, and I just hear him say, their train is coming in in five minutes, and my eyes widened. And I knew exactly what that meant. So I basically stalked this man as he um, carried out his day and found which platform he was going to. And I went and just went up to the platform and, and watched to see what would happen. I made Hannah and, uh, uh, and our friend wait and say, we've got to wait here. I don't care if we're missing the train. We've got, to, we've got to see. And five minutes later, this train pulled in and out came the Manchester City football team. And just to prove I'm not lying, here is a, a couple of photos of them in Watford Junction. So that's Pep Guardiola. Next one, please. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Vincent Company is the last one. And I would love to say I was really cool, calm, and collected at this point. <laughs> However, I was like a kid in a candy shop. And uh, the reason those, fo uh, those photos are so blurry is you can just tell my excitement in that moment. And... Whenever we see something great, whenever we recognize that something is special, we stop and take notice, don't we? When we recognize that something is special, we pause to admire. Just think how many of us would line up for hours in the queue for the Louvre just to get a glimpse of the Mona Lisa, or how much money we would spend just to get a glimpse of Taylor Swift at one of her concerts, even though she'd be just the size of an ant really far away. But we go to great lengths to get a glimpse of that which we know to be special. And over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to do just that. We're going to stop and pay attention to uh, not only why Christmas is so important, but we're going to pay attention to the person who is central to it all. We're going to pay attention to Jesus. And to do that, we're actually going to look at a passage from the Old Testament from a guy called the prophet Isaiah. And at this time, while Isaiah is writing, Israel, the nation of Israel, is under political threat from the nations around them. War is on their doorstep. And uh, Isaiah says that this is happening because the people of Israel are rebelling against God. But it's not all doom and gloom. That is not the end of the story. Because Isaiah is convinced there is hope 
because he knows that God will fulfill his promises to the people of Israel. That one day he would send a king that would establish God's kingdom and that king would lead Israel back into obedience with God. And this just wouldn't benefit Israel, but it would benefit all the other nations around them as well. And in the midst of this longing for a king, in the midst of this hoping for a Messiah, in the midst of hoping for a better future than their present reality was pointing them towards, Isaiah prophesies about the coming of a child, a baby, who will be a great light in the darkness. We're going to um, read those verses again from Isaiah 9, and they say this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And these verses, which would have given the people hope, these that fill us with longing for something better and expectations of what restoration would look like. They don't point us towards this metaphysical power. They don't point us towards this abstract force. They point us to a person. The great king has come as a child, a son, a son that is given. And if you were to skip ahead to the Gospels, that you would find out that that son was Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave, gold star, his one and only son. Jesus is that son. Jesus is the central gift of Christmas. And in the season where we celebrate his birth, in the season we celebrate his coming to us, we also celebrate that God has fulfilled his promises to us. That when God promised that he would send a son, send this Messiah, we can celebrate the fact he's already done it. We celebrate Jesus, the gift that we have been freely given. But we can so easily miss it, can't we? We can so easily skip this, even if we've heard this once or a thousand times. It's so easily done. In the midst of this Christmas period, we don't always take in the magnitude of what this means. And I think that happens for a number of reasons. And I think one... I'm going to tell you three. Firstly, one of the reasons we miss Jesus in this season is because we become too hurried. Christmas is a busy season. It takes a lot of coordination. We have to host family. We rush around making pre uh, preparations, getting gifts for, for people, getting the biggest turkey you can find, making sure everything is absolutely perfect. And in the rush of trying to just make Christmas Day happen, we can often forget to stop and ask why? The second reason we may miss Jesus in this season is because we find this season disappointing. 
And sometimes we play such a high expectation of what a good Christmas would be like, don't we? And let's face it, the adverts don't really help. They paint a, a nice picture. And it doesn't matter how much effort goes into the presents you buy or, or making the dinner as best you can. There's always something that goes wrong. The pigs in blankets burn. The present you bought for someone, you found out they've re-gifted it to someone else. The, there's uh, uh, a... <laughs> you, you don't get the present you were longing for. And um, we all have that uncle who makes an inappropriate comment, don't we? There's always that one person at the dinner table. And even just the magic we feel on Christmas as a child can often fizzle out over time. But another reason we might find Christmas disappointing is because Christmas can often be a reminder of the people we miss at Christmas, the people, our loved ones who are no longer with us. And it's hard to feel like the coming of Jesus is a good gift when we feel disappointed in this season. And the final reason I think we miss the gift that Jesus is in this season is that even though we know he is this great light, we cannot neglect and we cannot ignore the reality that there is still darkness in our world. Even this Christmas, we face the reality that there is war in our world, rapid climate change, politics as messy as ever. The cost of living crisis is still ongoing. Our NHS under pressure. There have been more protests this year, I think, than most of the rest of my life. Our world is hurting. Our people are, people are angry, people are scared, and people are grieving. Where is that great light now? Because we need him. And these verses in Isaiah are encouraging me because he doesn't come in the midst of perfect circumstances to perfect people. He comes right in the midst of their mess. It's the people who are walking in darkness who see this great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness that see the light dawn. And maybe for us this Christmas, what we need is not a set of perfect circumstances, but for the one who is perfect, come right into the midst of our circumstances. And perhaps what we need, maybe the goal is not just for the darkness to go away, but perhaps for us, the goal is that we would be a people who could say, we saw that great light dawn. And over the next few Sundays, uh, leading up to Christmas morning, we're gonna focus on that light, on Jesus, and uh, we're gonna unwrap this gift together. Now, there are two types of people when it comes to unwrapping gifts. I am the first type, and I'm a ripper. So my side of the family, when we get a gift on Christmas morning, we are tearing at it. Wrapping paper is being thrown across the room, and the goal is to get it as quickly as possible. It's a rather violent approach. My wife's side of the family, the mag side of the family, are a bit more delicate in their approach. They're the type of people who slowly peel back every bit of sellotape and uh, not to tear any of the wrapping paper that they've been given, always saying that they're gonna reuse the wrapping paper next year. But I don't know about you, but I've never been given a present where someone has reused that wrapping paper. And over the next few weeks, as much as it tortures me, we're gonna take the mags approach to this. We're gonna spend time unwrapping this gift. And we're gonna take our time to stop and admire who this gift is. And when you open a present on Christmas Day and the box tells you the features that your gift can do, these verses also give us a glimpse of who Jesus is. And they say this, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. And so for the rest of our time together, I'm going to look at that first one, and then over the next couple of weeks, other people are going to take some of the other names as well. So he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And I don't know what you think of when you think of a counselor at first. You might think of a mental health counselor who counsels you on your mental well-being. Or you might think of a diplomatic counselor, someone who counsels uh, maybe an ambassador at an embassy. But the language here found in Isaiah is around kings and kingdoms. And it's provoking a particular image in our mind. So I don't know if you've seen any of those films set in any sort of kingdom. And there's always a moment where a character enters this majestic throne room. There's normally the king at the very far end of the room. They make him walk all the time. And as they approach, you normally find at somewhere in this scene, someone whispering into the ear of the, of the king, right? Someone telling them what they should do and what the wise course of action is. And the truth is that the word counselor is so much more than someone who just gives advice, particularly when we realize who it is standing next to them. Because it's only when we experience the genuine, unconditional acceptance and love that God can offer us that we begin to really listen to his counsel. And the reason for this is because it's only when we feel safe, it's only when we feel validated through his love that we allow our defenses to drop and let the scales fall from our eyes, which means we are able to properly hear, properly see, and properly receive his advice in the first place. And what's the point of having a counselor who you don't trust? If you don't think they care about you or they think the first chance they get, they're gonna betray you, they're not a very good counselor, why would you have them as your counselor in the first place? You wouldn't, would you? And a good counselor is one who speaks in order to serve rather than to gain. And it's out of his love for us that God speaks to us because he cares for us. But Jesus is not merely a good counselor, he is the wonderful counselor. And when we talk of the word wonderful here, we're not just talking about when you have a good cup of coffee and you go, mm, that's wonderful. Or when uh, one of your kids from Soul Kids comes over with the craft they've done this week and you look at it and go, hmm, that's wonderful, darling. It's not that at all. When we talk of the word wonderful here, we're talking about the God of wonders. We're talking about the miraculous. We're talking about um, the God who can do wonders. He is the God who spoke and created the universe and everything in it, who formed humanity from the dust. He, the God who can do the unexpected, like when he split the Red Sea in two so that Israel could walk right through it on dry land in, from slavery into freedom. He is the God who raises people from the dead. He is the God who can look at even the darkest situation and provide light and hope in that darkness. When we're talking about the wonderful counselor, we're talking about the one whose counsel is so different from our own, whose wisdom is so beyond ours that we cannot fully comprehend or understand it. And I want you to imagine for me for a moment that you are the CEO of a big company and you're sat around one of those massive boardroom tables. They're always massive, aren't they? The sparkling water on there, there always is. And um, around you, you have a team and that team are dressed in their finest suits, they are well-equipped, they are very intelligent, they are very wise and considered, 
they're the best and brightest talents you could possibly wish for. And during a meeting, it turns out you have to make this key decision about the direction of your company. You can go one way or the other. Now, your team tell you to go with one way. But there is one guy, this guy called Jesus, who comes to you and presents you with a different option. He presents you with the option that is risky. He presents you with an option that has the potential to go so wrong that the company could collapse. He only tells you the first couple of steps and says he'll tell you the rest later on. But when he does tell you some of it, you come away confused. You don't quite understand how it's going to work. The numbers don't really add up. If this is the case, and you don't know who this guy is, whose counsel are you going to take on board? It's simple. You're going to think this guy is absolutely mental. Of course we will choose what feels safer. Of course we will choose what feels more wise to us. The option we can understand better if we don't know who it is giving the advice. But the advantage we have is that we do know who it is. We've seen this guy's CV. We know that this guy is the all-seeing, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the all-loving God. We've heard of what he can do. And for some of us in this room, we've even seen what he can do. And if we could really grasp hold of who this guy is, of course we would listen to him. It almost wouldn't matter what anyone else had to say or what we thought the wisest course of action would be because this guy can do so much more. This guy's wisdom is beyond what any of us can dream of having. This guy is the guy whose counsel leads to the miraculous. And yet the reality I live in is that sometimes I find it difficult to listen to Jesus' counsel, his advice, his wisdom, because it's scary when we don't know what the future looks like. It's scary when it feels like there could be pain along that road. And the writer of Hebrews says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And what I keep coming back to, the place I find safety in uncertainty is not so much in the counsel I am given, but in the one who gives me that counsel. I don't always understand where he's taken me, but I do know that he loves me. I don't always understand what he's doing in my life, but I do know that his plans are not to harm me, but to give me a hope and a future. I don't always understand what he's asking of me, but I trust in who he is. And I trust that if he's the one giving me that counsel, then it is for my good. And I don't know if you've ever done that thing where you put Mentos in a bottle of Coke. And don't worry if you haven't, because we're gonna do it now. Um, and I'm gonna ask my glamorous assistant to come on up. Um, this morning, it didn't work that well. It was a little bit underwhelming. Come, come, come. Um, it was a little bit underwhelming. However, I've tripled the amount of Mentos going in. You might want to come up here. <laughs> All right, let's see if this works. All right. We'll do a, th a three, two, one run. Right, you ready? Oh, we've only got two. Whoa. Whoa. Ta-da. Um, great. And all of that is just, thank you. All of that is just for a little gimmick to say, if I was to drop a mento in your life, if there were things happening to you right now that made you spill over, made you feel shaky, what would come out? 
what would come out of you right now? And it may be that the thing that is coming out of you right now is anger. It could be grief. It could be jealousy. It may be selfish ambition. It may be pride. Perhaps it's guilt or maybe shame. And I used to think the way to deal with this kind of thing is to just become more disciplined. If I read my Bible more, if I prayed more, if I became more focused, if I was strong enough, then I could just fix it all myself. And discipline can help, but the beauty of having a wonderful counselor, as Jesus, our wonderful counselor, is that he wants to look at all this stuff. He wants to look at all this mess that spills out of us with us. He wants to look at the things we're going through, those difficult circumstances we find ourselves in together, those places of pain that we wrestle through. And if we let him, he will guide us to the place we need to go. And it may not be the place where we thought we would need to go, but it will absolutely be the place we actually do need to go. If I were to drop a mento in you and the thing that came out was guilt and shame, how would our wonderful counselor counsel you? What would he do with that guilt and shame? He would take you to the cross, to the foot of the cross, and say to you, your guilt and shame was finished here. You can be fully forgiven of that guilt. If what was coming out of you was rage and anger, then our wonderful counselor is kind enough to say, I know you're hurting, I know that you are in pain, but let's look at your life together and let's walk towards peace together. And maybe he leads us to a place where we find that he's angry about some of that stuff too. Maybe he leads us to a place where he asks us to love our enemy. Maybe he leads us to a place of needing to forgive. Do you see how wonderful his counsel can be? When we feel shaken, when our hearts and our emotions are all over the place, he remains calm, he remains steadfast, and he remains faithful to us in the journey that we are on. You're not alone in the middle of whatever you're going through because our wonderful counselor wants to walk that road with you. And one of the questions I know I would have at this point is, okay, but how do I hear this counsel? How do I know what he's saying? And how we hear God is a massive topic in its own. It's worthy of its own sermon. But I'm gonna give you the really simplified version. The way we hear our wonderful counselor and what he has to say is this. We listen. And a few years ago, when I started working here at the church, I realized that um, if I was gonna be any good at this whole church pastor thing, I was gonna have to be a good listener. It's an occupational hazard. And um, I decided that I wanted to get better at this. So I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts, I listened to talks, and tried to pick up techniques of how could I possibly get better at listening to people. And the thing that really stayed with me was a bit of advice from a lady called Brené Brown, who's a psychologist. And um, she said this in a podcast that I listened to. You don't need to learn how to do the tricks to appear if, as if you're listening. The nodding of the head, the saying, mm, whilst they're talking if you just shut up and listen. In other words, if I want God to speak into my life, if I want to receive this wonderful counsel that he has for me, 
If I want him to lead me to the places I need to go to find healing and restoration, then I need to make the space to listen to him. And I wonder if when we read our Bibles, do we make the space to say, Lord, what are you doing in the, through these passages? Or do I just tick it off the list? When I pray, is it a one-sided conversation? Or do I actually give him the space to talk back to me? Is there a space in my day for me to pause and say, Lord, what are you doing here? What are you doing in me? What are you doing through that person? What would you do here if you were me? And so I wonder what it is that today, Jesus, our wonderful counselor, would wanna say to each of us. And as I wrap up, that's what I wanna consider as we close together, that what is is Jesus' counsel for me right now? And he will have something to say to each of us. And a tool I found particularly helpful is this idea of the seasons of the soul. And uh, it's a very old tool, which Christians have used for hundreds of years. But they've basically given a parallel to each season the earth goes through with what can happen inside of us. And as I go through them, try and take hold of which one you think you are in right now. So the first one is autumn. And autumn is the season of change. The ground in front of you may seem uncertain because things are moving so fast. Then you have winter. Winter is the season of hardship. It's cold, it's isolating. If you're in this season, it may just, uh, you may just feel like everything around you feels really hard. Spring. Spring is the season of new things. And that can be really exciting, but it can also be equally terrifying because we can become so used to the old that any new can make us feel uncomfortable. And then finally, summer. And summer is the season I like to call the season of plain sailing, where it feels like life is really good. But the thing about summer is if you fail to acknowledge when you're in it, you will miss the gift of it. And all of us will be able to identify with one of these seasons here. And what I love about our wonderful counselor is that he is in every season. So what is our wonderful counselor saying to you in this particular season you find yourself in right now? In this period as we lead up to Christmas, as we stop and adore and admire the gift that has been given to us, what is his counsel for you?